455 million, in fact, probably more now, posts or photos on Instagram which have the hashtag me. That's right, hashtag me. More than 455 million of them you can find. Photo after photo after photo that people have taken of themselves. Occasionally, there may be someone else in the photo, or maybe a dog or or some other animal, but the majority of the cases, the photo is of a person who has taken the snap. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. After all, what is one of the world's obsessions today? It is a selfie. People just love taking pictures of themselves. Smartphones have that wonderful function now where you can reverse the camera so you can see what you're taking a photo of of yourself. Like it or not, we live in the age of a selfie and have been for a long time. You see, the selfie is just one expression of of a way of thinking, a way of behaving, where self is at the centre. Where what is most important is what we want, what we feel, what makes us happy. What we desire, what we think and say is best, what we choose. This way of thinking and behaving is what the Bible calls a pattern of this world or of this age. It's a way of living that does not have God at the centre, where God has been replaced and self has been put in the middle. And it's a way of living that Christians are to have no part of. Yes, it was a way we were living before we responded to God's mercy by repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus. But it is not the way we are to live now. That's what the Apostle Paul says at the start of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is a good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Paul shall spend 11 chapters describing all that God has done to save sinners like himself. And he is just blown away by this. But incredibly, if we put our trust in Jesus, if our faith is in him, the one who died for our sins, we can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. We can be saved from God's wrath. We can be brought into and adopted into God's family. We can receive new life now. We can have the assurance that nothing will separate us from the love of God. We can have a hope of a, hope of a place in a new creation that is being prepared for God's elect. And Paul, at the end of Romans 11, is just overblown by all of this. He's just, he's just amazed by it. And just glories in the wisdom of God, because only a a God such as his God could come up with a plan such as this. How amazing and wise it is for, for God to have come up with a plan that would involve saving you and me. How loving, gracious, merciful for him to do that for us who have rejected him. And because he's done that, Paul says, I urge you. He's not throwing out something for for us to consider. This is not a request. This is an exhortation, an appeal. There is something urgent. There's a real urgency about what Paul is going to say. He's saying, because God has saved you, this is how you must live. Don't be conformed to the age, he says. Don't be conformed to a way of the world. Don't let the world 
tell you how you should or should not think or how you can or cannot behave. Instead, do be transformed. Do be transformed because you already have been. A change has already taken place in you. You're not what you were. United to Christ, you have died to that old way of life. The old way of life that you lived where sin reigned over you. And you followed the way of the world. You've now been raised up to to a new way of life where sin no longer reigns. So now you can offer your bodies, your whole bodies, your whole self as a living sacrifice. Willing to do, seeking to do everything that he tells you to. And as you do this, you'll show that God's way is best. People will see why it is great to follow the Lord Jesus. But what does this not being conformed, but being transformed, look like practically? What, what are some of the results of this transformation in our everyday lives? Well, that's what the rest of Romans is about. And here in verses 3 to 8 of chapter 12, this transformation will be seen in how we relate to others. Especially those who make up the, the local churches we're part of. How we relate to the other members of a local church that we have committed ourselves to. And a big point made is that for those who have been transformed, our attitude will now be we rather than me. We rather than me. Look at verse 3 with me again. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Paul says we are to think seriously of ourselves or, or about ourselves, to think with sober judgment, which means to be rigorous and accurate in how we view ourselves. It is thinking clearly to, to get right who we are. Now, that's not going to happen if we're allowing ourselves to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Think about the standards the world says we are to judge ourselves by. Achievement. Or fame. Maybe our class. Or our connections. Our family background. The wealth we have. Our abilities, our possessions, our appearance. These are all the different standards that the world gives us and says, measure yourself about them. See where you rank. And as we do, what's the result of doing that? Viewing ourselves by these standards? Well, I believe lead to us thinking too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. It might lead to us exaggerating ourselves to make us look better than we are. Or it can lead to us feeling down and depressed and envious because we're not like that person. But being transformed, Paul says, means we no longer view ourselves like this by the standards the world uses, but by how God views us. And, and how does God view us? Well, what does thinking seriously about ourselves in, in terms of how God views us, what will that look like? Well, it will mean, firstly, seeing ourselves as made in God's image. All of us have been made in God's image. We've not been made better than anyone else or worse than anyone else. Because everyone has been made in the image of God. 
thinking seriously about ourselves, will be seen first as those who have been made in God's image. But also thinking seriously will mean seeing ourselves as a sinner. Again, something that everyone is. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to be saved. Otherwise, we'll all end up facing God's wrath in hell. And incredibly, thinking seriously will mean seeing ourselves as those whom God loves and sent his son to die for. The fact that we are saved is not a reason to think of ourselves as better than those who have not been. Because this salvation that we've received has, has actually nothing to do with us. Even the faith we needed was given to us by God. Can you see how not being conformed, but being transformed, changes the way we view ourselves? It stops us from being proud, egocentric, because it says you've got nothing to boast about. You're not more special because of who you are or what you've done, because everything you have and everything you are is a gift from God. But it should also stop us from feeling worthless or unimportant. Because it says, actually, you're no better than anyone else, but you're no worse than anyone else either. But more than that, it says, you are loved and you are cherished and you are approved and valued by the only one whose opinion matters. We're all created equally in God's image and we are all sinners saved equally by Christ. And when we view ourselves in this way, it makes it possible for our attitude to become we and not me. Because it helps us to see ourselves as, as not individuals competing against another on a particular ladder, but rather as people who are part of the same team. Or to use the metaphor Paul uses here, we are members of the same body. And that's the first way, having an attitude of we, not me, will be seen in how we relate to others in the church. Firstly, our attitude will be we, not me, in how we view one another, in how we view one another. Look at verses four and five yeah. in the text. Yeah. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, yeah. in the same way, yeah. we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Think about your own bodies. You have one body. But it's made up of many members, including 206 bones, 640 skeletal muscles, 78 organs, and we could go on. And all of these different members don't have the same function. The heart does one thing, the pancreas does another, the brain does something else, and, and so on. The attitude of the heart is not me, but we. The heart is concerned about the rest of the body, which is why it pumps blood around to the other organs. The heart doesn't wake up one day, or, or if, it's, if it's healthy, and go, do you know, I'm going to be a bit selfish. I'm, I'm going to keep all this blood to myself. I'm going to let the, the brain and, 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 and the toe to suffer today. No, the heart never thinks in that way. In fact, the only time that the heart stops doing what it's functioning is if there's something wrong with it, if it's, if it's sick. And that's true of every body part, because whatever part, they belong to each other. And if we put our trust in Christ, we are part of a body. We're not to follow Jesus on our own, but with others. We're, we're to be part of a local church, side by side, supporting one another, depending on one another. 
And I know I'm talking to those of you who agree with this. You're part of local churches. You lead local churches. You're, you're passionate about the local church. But we, we, want all, we want to make sure that we are as passionate about being members of the church, not just being leaders of the church. We're to see ourselves not as isolated individuals, but as members of a body. That's the first step if we are to have this transformed attitude of we, not me. But it's not just enough to see ourselves as part of a team, as part of a body, as a member of a church. Because I think it's still possible to recognise that you're part of a body, that you are part of a we, but then make it all about yourself, about me. Which means we've actually got to act as if we are we, not me. And that starts in how we view one another. The other parts of a body, the other members of a church, specifically the local church that we've committed ourselves to. Viewing other members as equal and yet different. Equally created in the image of God. Equally sinners saved by Christ. But also equally important and valued in the church. It's important we believe this because Paul makes clear there are differences. And where there are differences, the temptation is to fall into a trap of either thinking thinking more highly or more lowly of yourself, or thinking of other Christians more highly or more lowly than you should. And he he points us to two areas of difference where this danger is. Danger is immaturity and gifting. Look at verses three and four again. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in the one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. Paul speaks of believers being given by God a particular measure of faith. Yet that measure of faith is not necessarily the same for each of them. And that's true from our experience, isn't it? There are some Christians whom God gives a faith to be able to cope with huge amounts of suffering when we struggle to keep believing in those small trials. Then there are the different levels of maturity that believers have. We mustn't think that because God has given that person more faith, they are more important than us. Different levels of maturity doesn't determine value. Remember, it's God who determines the measure of faith. He also speaks about the parts of a body having different functions. Believers have different roles within the church. Verses 6 to 8 makes that clear. But again, we mustn't think that because God has given gifting or ability to someone to do a specific role, that they are more important or less important than us. Remember, it is God who gives a gift. Verse 6 According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If we have an attitude of we, not me, in how we view one another, we will treat every part of the body as necessary, as needed, as valued. The most mature and especially gifted follower of Jesus is just as needed as the immature and unexceptionally gifted one. God knows best. He knows who and what every local church needs to do what he wants him to do. Maybe you look around your church and see the members. 
and you look at another church and see their members. And maybe you think, oh, do you know what? I wish I could replace our members with them. They're, they're, they're so much better. Or, or you may have that really annoying member and you might think, oh, if only I could shift that member to one down the road and maybe do a, do a swap. Can we, can we organise a transfer? God knows best. He knows what each local, local church needs to do what he wants them to do. He knows that my local, the local church I'm part of needs me and I need them. But I need all the different personalities and temperaments and histories and experiences and faith and abilities that the local church I'm part of has. Just as those members need my personality and temperament and history and experience of faith and ability. And that's the same for your local churches. Your members need you in all your difference just as much as they. You need them in all their difference. And yes, we may think, oh, if only we could have those. But actually, God knows best. He knows who he needs in each local church at just the right time for them, for the church to do what he wants to do at that time. Having an attitude of we, not me, in how we relate to others in a church will be seen in how we view one another. But then building on what we looked at this morning will also be seen in how we serve one another. Secondly, our attitude will be we, not me, in how we serve one another. Look at verses 6 to 8. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If, if exalting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. As you've just seen, we've been given different abilities and gifting by God to fulfil different functions within the ministry of a church. And here we have a selection of these gifts that God gives to people listed. As prophecy, most likely prophecy here refers to words that God speaks through someone to another, which builds a person up or encourages them or consoles them. This will include preaching, but also one-to-one conversations. Service covers everything that would come under caring for the physical needs of a church. Just like the Levites in the Old Testament had various practical tasks to make sure that the physical needs of the temple were covered, such as providing oil, trimming the lamps, baking bread, offering sacrifices. So some within the church will be particularly able to complete the numerous practical aspects of church life. Ensuring, including ensuring those who have particular needs are helped. Teaching is simply making truth clear and understandable so that people learn and know how to obey everything Christ has commanded. Again, not just something that happens from a pulpit when the, on a Sunday when a church gathers. This what goes on in Sunday school or in care homes or smaller groups, older women teaching younger women, one-to-one discipleship. Exhortation there is, is more than putting an arm around someone's shoulder and saying, oh, keep going. It's more like a, a firm and friendly push in the right direction, pressing home what that person should be doing, encouraging them to follow and obey God's word. Giving speaks of the ability to financially support, support the work of a church in a way that is fruitful. Now, every member of a church should be giving, 
of their time, their money. But there are some whom God gives the ability to in ways over and above what is expected. And then leadership is here simply showing people the way to go. Responsibility of elders in the church, but not limited to this. And then the last one, showing mercy, is having that burden for, or being moved to work with the poor, the sick, the weak, and the suffering. Now, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list. These are just some of the gifts that God gives. We have a list of, with different gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. And so the point being made by this list and the others is there are lots of different abilities and giftings that God has given to his people. Some are speaking gifts, some are serving gifts, some are leadership gifts. But here in Romans, the focus isn't actually on the gift, but how we are to use them. And this will be determined by our attitude. Our attitude will determine how we serve. If our attitude is being conformed to a pattern of this world, it will be me, not we. And we will serve to build ourselves up, not others. We'll use our gifts for the benefit of us. To win friends, influence people, to show off, to make ourselves look good, to, to feel better about ourselves, to think that we're better than others. Let's think for a moment about how this might look like in a local church. Maybe not a danger we're facing at the moment, but maybe it might be a, a diagnostic tool to, as you assess others who are serving in your church. What might a we, not me, attitude play out on a Sunday when you gather? Well, you could start with, I don't know, the person on the door, the stewards, the welcomers. If they had a we, not me, attitude, they might do that role in a, a really friendly way. And you hope they would do. But, but they do it in such a way because they want people to like them. To think about how well they did it. To talk to others about how friendly they are. Maybe they, they want to gather, get to gain the, the reputation of being the church welcomer. The one that, that is most trusted to, to welcome that new person in the church. The one that, that you go to every time someone new comes in because you can trust them that they will do a good job. And, and, and they start to latch on to that idea. And, and, and try really hard. And, and that's what they are living for. They might get jealous if someone they see doing it better than them. A rival steward. A rival welcomer. Or what about those who play instruments in the church? What does a me, not we attitude look like in them? Maybe I'll play in order that people will notice how good they are. To be seen to be better at playing an instrument than someone else does. Maybe they relish those comments after a church when you go, oh, when they hear overheard a member of the congregation go, I finally we had that person on the violin today. They really feel I really feel close to God when they play. We just had to settle for a beating. Maybe next week. What about someone's able to give generously? Well a me, not we attitude would show itself. If they gave generously in order to gain influence in the church, to get things done the way they want it done. Or maybe for us who preach, what would a me, not we, attitude look like for us? 
Well, I think a couple of ways this might show itself up, I think, is maybe putting content into a sermon. That isn't really necessary, but either makes us sound clever or gets a laugh. Or maybe it would be to avoid saying things that might be unpopular for people to hear because we don't want to offend. See, it's so easy to conform to the patterns of this world and how we use the gifts and abilities that God has given and use them to serve ourselves. But if we choose to be transformed in how we live, our attitude will be we, not me. And we'll use our gifting to, to build up the body of this local church. We'll use our gifts for the benefit of others. So let's take the same gifts again. What might a different attitude, a transformed attitude like then? Well, for the welcomers, the stewards, a we, not me attitude, will mean that their biggest concern when people arrive is to help them, to make sure they, they know where to go, to communicate that to everyone that comes through the door, we're glad you're here. To not be bothered what the person coming in thinks of them, but being more concerned about what they, that they feel welcome. For musicians, a we, not me attitude, would make their priority as they played helping people being able to, to sing the different hymns and songs. They, they won't worry if others are technically better, but their focus will be simply on doing their best they can to bless others. Those who give generously. A me, not we attitude would lead to them giving generously because they want people to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus, for people to be built up in their faith, to, for the church to be strengthened, even if they might like it done in a different way. And for those of us who preach, focus will be making sure that those who gather hear what God says, not what they have to say. It will not mean mean not being afraid to speak and to say things from God's word that people don't want to hear, but they need to. And you could spread out for every role, every area in church life. For our attitude is we, not me. We will use our gifts to serve one another rather than serve ourselves. We'll ask ourselves, what can we do that will benefit this local church? Or how can I use what God has given me for the good of others? Are we not me attitude we see in how we view one another and how we serve one another? It's how Jesus wants us to live. And that's because it was how he lived. He never followed the way of this world, the pattern of this age. It was never me with him. He had a we, not me attitude. Because that was the will of his father for his life. How does he view his people? He doesn't look down on them, does he? He doesn't think even the weakest one is unimportant. He involves them in his his work. He's patient with them when they fail. He's gentle and compassionate with them. And he came not to be served, but to serve. For him, his service was never about me, but we. It was to give his life as a ransom for many. To save you, to save me. And for those of us whom he's saved, he gives us his spirit to live within us and change us so that we become like him. And one of the ways in which we will become like, we have to become like the Lord Jesus is by having this we, not me, attitude in how we view one another and in how we serve one another.
Jesus showed that God's way is best by the way he lived his life. And we will too when our attitude is we, not me. Let's pray.